0: How are you guys doing tonight, Clemson FCA? Man. Uh, my name is Matt. Um, I have the privilege to work at Renovation Church in Simpsonville, if anybody in the Greenville area. Um, but I'm, I'm honored uh, to be here with you guys at Clemson. I'm a USC graduate, so I'm just going to go ahead and get out the gate and say that, okay? So I love you guys. Um, but for real, one of my favorite things about Clemson, I'm, I'm not kidding, is uh, FCA. Um, it truly is an honor to be here and I don't just say that because like that's what you're supposed to say. Um, it, is, it is an honor to be here um, and just knowing this like getting to hang out with leadership beforehand during the meal we we hang out before service and um, it's always so cool to see all the different backgrounds and how everybody comes together and um, y'all have a phenomenal leadership team. I don't know if you realize that but y'all are blessed for real. Um, cause every, everybody wants to be in leadership until they're actually in leadership. <laughs> and they're like, what did I do? Um, and so they, they serve diligently and they pray. And so you guys are in incredible hands. Um, but I'm married, uh, married to my wife, Ashley, we've got three kids. I got a picture just because I feel like it. Um, but my beautiful wife and our kids, they're a handful. They're at home with the babysitter right now, hopefully asleep. Uh, by the time we get home, there's no picture. So you just have to imagine them in your minds right now. um, but, uh, but I want to I get started tonight. Um, how many of y'all refreshed from spring break? No one. Who on a mission trip? I want to see a show of hands. Like, okay, that's why. Who, how many of y'all tired from spring break? Spring break was supposed to be a break, and now it's just like you're back into the grind, and now you're ready for summer break. Um, but you know, like this is, this is the long grind from now until the end of semester, and so um, you're you're going to be walking through this season where you're, you're tired, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, where you're, you're drained, where you're tired. And, and sometimes we get into spots in our life where the, the cycle just continues, where we feel like we're, we're stuck in a, in a cycle of just being either exhausted or down. Or worse is when we feel stuck. Like, we, we can get into a pattern in our life with our behaviors and our actions and our, our mentality that we get stuck. You ever been stuck? Like, not just like, oh, I'm kind of in a spot. Like, for instance, when I was in college, I worked for my father-in-law uh, delivering office furniture, which was, it was, honestly, it was a sweet gig. Uh, I got to work whenever I wanted, and I got to drive a big truck, like a box truck, you know? And there's something, like, about a man when you drive a big truck, you just, you feel like a boss, right? Like... So I started, I was driving around this, this box truck, and I worked for him, like, in the wintertime, like, during, during Christmas break and during the summertime and even throughout the year. And so I was delivering some furniture uh, right up here. You know where 123 splits off and easily? Uh, there, there was a bank there, and I had to drop off a couple of chairs. And so I'm whipping into the parking lot because I was good at driving this thing. Like, I drove it to Kentucky and back. I worked a 25-hour shift. Like, it was It was real. And so I pull into this bank, and I go to deliver some chairs, and the UPS truck is on the side. So I was like, I got to whip around the back. And so I'm driving around the back of this bank, and I forgot for a moment that I was in a box truck, because the, the, the extension of the drive-through, all of a sudden, the truck just came to a stop, and I see stuff falling down in front of me. And I was like, oh, man, I'm stuck. Like, literally like stuck like I tried reversing out and like part of the the roof is caving down as I'm doing it and people come running out of the building like taking down my license plate like I'm gonna flee the scene I mean half of the box truck looks like a can of beans been opened up like just already just rolled back and so I was like hey I got some furniture for y'all <laughs> I kid you not they're like oh no that's actually that building right over there <laughs> so I had to go deliver to this other building and they're all like standing out the window like do you, can we believe that guy that just like wrecked the building? I was like, Shanna, what an idiot, right? I was like, that was me. And so then I had to call my father-in-law who was on vacation to get away from work. I was like, hey, how you guys doing? Camping, getting away from everything? So I may or may not have wrecked a truck. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's kind of destroyed. But like, I felt so bad because he was in need of rest. And I just, I felt like the biggest idiot in the world. And then I got demoted to the minivan for a little while. But you, you ever been in a situation where, like, you feel stuck? And so I, I want us to look at Scripture tonight to a, a similar situation—one that wasn't self-inflicted, but somebody who walked through honestly many, 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 many hardships, many tough situations in his life. Because I believe we can all um, gleam from it; we can all take heart, and we can we can learn from it. Um, and I'm not—I'm not a pessimist. I'm actually known to be kind of an optimist, but I'm also got a little dash of realist in me, and. And life is tough. Like, this isn't like Debbie Downer here. Life is real, and life is tough. And if you have not experienced valleys in your life yet, in your short 19 to 20-something, some of y'all maybe 26, you're just, you need to, like, go ahead and graduate. Um, You're working on it. It's cool. But if you haven't experienced the valleys, they're coming, And the the more that we are prepared walking into it for how we're going to walk through it, the better off we're going to be. Because some of them are going to catch you off guard. Um, And like when when it gets tough, when life gets real and life gets complicated, clean, comfortable, plastic, untested faith will not cut it. It won't. This this idea of who Jesus is and this idea of God's character that is untested and unproven and unsolidified in your life just won't cut it. Because ideas of God are not going to pull you out of the valley, but the revelation of who Jesus is to you personally is what will pull you out of the valley. So... A.W. Tozer, a theologian, said this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's real. Because our perception of who God is shapes how we view him. It shapes how we view our life. And everything, every one of our decisions and our actions, it flows from that revelation of our view and our perspective of who God is. And the greater of a perspective we have because we can't fully know in, 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 its, in his completeness, but the greater understanding we have of who God really is, his true character, his true nature, the more we take our life's decisions, our actions, our attitude, and we put them under his lordship and we put them under his control and we do life his way. Because there's a big difference, and I feel that the pull with with most followers of Jesus is we have this pull because we want to make decisions sometimes based on what we feel and what we see, but we have to make decisions based on what we know instead. And really, when you think about it, that's the rub in our life. That's where the friction comes in. What we see and what we feel is real, but what we know is truth. And we have to live lives that are based on truth and not feelings. Because if feelings can be changed by what we ate for breakfast, feelings are fleeting. And what we see is, is not often what it is. And so we need to be a people who make decisions and who live our life based on the revelation, revelation of what we know. So I want us to take a, a look. We're going to be in one chapter tonight. We're going to be in Psalm 57. Psalm 57. But before we even get there, we got a lot of context to give up. And, and I love the Psalms. And so we're going we're to jump in. David wrote this Psalm 57. But some context real quick. Um, if you know the story of David, uh, David had a lot of highlights. David was a shepherd. He was one of many siblings, and he was, he was the youngest. He was the look down on. He was the runt. And David was chosen. He was anointed to be king. So David, who's a shepherd, who's out taking care of the sheep, who killed a, a bear and a, and, a, and a lion, which was awesome. He, uh, he's anointed to be king, but he's not king yet. His brothers still look down on him. His dad looks down on him, goes down to the valley to deliver lunch one day and sees this giant, goes out and slays the giant. His brothers doubted him. And, and Saul, er, Saul is the king at this moment, but David is coming up and, and David is the next in line. And so David begins leading armies. And, and people are writing songs about Saul, and they're like, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, and so what happens is, is everything is going good, and David is, is stepping into this role to one day be king, and things are great, and things are fine, and things are going well for David, but then what happens? Saul, he goes crazy, like Saul, Saul goes He goes seriously crazy. He goes insane, like he's tormented by an evil spirit. He he goes insane, and he's after David. Takes an army and chases after David to kill him and to hunt him down like an animal. And when opposition like that just comes at us from nowhere in our life, we we have to think one or two things. We have to see that either, one, that this is an opposition that's coming to wreck me, or two, that this is an opposition that God is maybe using an opportunity to grow me. Because we can just say, hey, this just isn't fair. Life is, life is against me. I'm the victim here. But like, it's real. We, we all want to be the, the, the tree in Psalm 1. We want to be the tree that, that's planted by the riverbank that bears fruit in each season that it doesn't matter whether we're walking through a valley or a mountaintop, that we continue to bear fruit. That what life throws at us doesn't shake our faith, it grows us. And I love scripture. Like, I, I love the Bible. I, I love it because it is, it is exciting. And anyone who says the Bible is boring probably hasn't read enough. Because this thing's wild, y'all. Like, there's some stories in here that VeggieTales won't even touch. Okay, because they they can't even have a version of that. They're like, we, that's just let's leave that one alone. But the Bible is is so it is the most engaging, entertaining, exciting thing there is, and it is life giving. It is the living, breathing Word of God, and I love the Psalms personally. Not maybe my favorite book of the Bible, but I love the Psalms, and the, the Psalms what we have to remember is the Psalms is it's not a hymnal that was copied and pasted and put into our Bible. The, the Psalms themselves are, yes, they, they became songs, but what they were originally written at it was, was personal prayers and songs. They, they weren't like, David wasn't out in the wilderness like, oh, this chorus, like, man, I, this is the bridge that's going to be banging. Like, they're going to, this is when the lights and the fog and the haze are going to come out, and like one day they're going to be leading worship in a church, and this is the, the part. The the Psalms were written as personal, private reflections of who God is. And then later, they were all compiled together, and they were sorted out, and they were put into five different sections, and and all five begin and end with the same kind of theme. But there was was several different authors. David was the author of several of them. Asaph, the sons of Korah. There's some anonymous ones. Even Moses and Solomon got in on it. And, And all of these, what I love about the The Psalms is not just um, the realness. Yes, they're poetic. Yes, there's some awesome lyrics. There's some awesome promises. There are one of two categories. There is either laments or there's praises. The majority of the two categories. So you got either we're, we're complaining and we're saying, why, God? Or we're saying, yes, thank you, God. And so you, you're, you can look at it sometimes, and you can be like, man, David was kind of like off his rocker. David was an emotional dude. Because in one moment, David's like, man, I'm, on, I'm king of the world. God is good. And the other minute, he's like, man, my enemy's about to kill me. God, I actually, strike down my enemies. Kill them all. And you see this emotional roller coaster. You see all of these things. But what I love about Scripture is that it's real. It's not plastic. It's not fake. It's real. It's this gut-level honesty where, where David is pouring out his thoughts to God, where he's, where he's declaring who God is. He's reminding his heart and his soul of who God really is. And, and where we can, what I love, too, about the Psalms is that for many of them, we know when they were written. So what we can do is that we can look throughout the Old Testament and we can see the events that take place, but then we can look at the Psalms and we can see the heart so we can see what David was experiencing on the outside, but then we get a glimpse through the Psalms to see what David was going through on the inside. And I think some of our greatest revelations into who David is is, is when we compare and contrast. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So the, the back story is in 1 Samuel 24. And so David, remember we picked up, David's on, his, on the run. Saul has got an army now of about 3,000 people and he's chasing after David. So David, who's supposed to be king, military leader, who's anointed, like he's, like God himself chose David and said, that's the one I want to be king. He's a man after my own heart. He is now fleeing through the wilderness, hiding out in caves. So there's two different settings in which they think that Psalm 57 was written. One is when he first fled and he's in a cave, and it said the people that joined him were his family and friends, and then it was people who owed other people money, people who were in trouble, and the people who were just dejected. So, I mean, like, what a great crew to run with, right? And David's the leader of them. The second thing that they think this may have been written about was a situation in which Dave is hi- David is hiding out in a cave. And Saul and his army are passing by. And Saul needs to use the restroom. And so Saul goes into the cave that happens to have David and his men hiding in it. And Saul goes to relieve himself. Now, imagine if it was number one, he would have just stayed out of the cave, all right? Just be real. So Saul is in, I mean, think about awkward, right? Saul is in the cave going to the bathroom and David and his men are like hiding quietly in the back. (laughs) Smells and all, all right? And so what happens is David's men are like, hey, here's your chance, the dude who's chasing you, who's hunting you down like a dog, is now in a very vulnerable situation. You should, you should take him out. And so David, he crawls up on the ground of the cave, and he goes up and he cuts the corner of Saul's robe off. And then he has this revelation. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill him. This is, this is God's anointed one, and who am I to do that? So those are the events that take place. And afterwards, after Saul's finished, he comes out and and David goes out and he confesses. He said, look, I I shouldn't have done that. You're God's anointed. Uh, Who am I to do this? And they they make amends for, for a brief moment. But so can you imagine how unfair it must have been for David? He did nothing wrong, but yet he's being chased down like a dog. Life was going well for him. He didn't fall into sin. He didn't make the decision. But all of a sudden, something hit him. Something came into his life that was unfair. And so when stuff happens in our life, what do we do? Do we let it wreck us? Or do we allow God to actually use it to build us? So David begins to write this psalm, Psalm 57. He starts out, he says, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy I look to you for protection. I will hide beneath the shadow of your wings until the danger passes by. Now, if this was a season of my life, let's be honest, I don't know if I would start a song out like this. My, my inner emo kid may come out and like, like, why, God? This is so unfair. This isn't right. But he starts out, Verse 2, he says, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. He will send help from heaven to rescue me, disgracing those who hound me. My God will send forth his unfailing love and faithfulness. So there's a couple things I think we can learn from this, from this psalm. The first thing is this, is that God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. First thing that stands out to me in the life of David is that David realized that God is more concerned with our character than he is our comfort. Because the psalm could have started out so I crept up on my hands and knees and I took matters into my own hands and I shanked Saul while he was going to the bathroom, right? And, and the, the, if, if your Bible says it, it says like sung to the, the tune of do not destroy. could have just been like, the shanking of Saul. I don't know. Could have changed the title, but, but how, would, how, would it, how would it have played out in your life? But here's what David understood. David understood that God works through authority. And David understood that the authority that God had anointed him with was still on Saul. And so he wasn't going to rebel, not against Saul, but against the Lord. When he had the I mean, he had guys that were saying, they even said this. They said, today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power. Do with as you wish. God never said that. He's got his friends in the cave with him that that are saying that God said to do this. Now, one, anytime we put words in God's mouth that he never said, that's shaky ground to be on. Well, the Lord said, or God said, you better be certain before you put words in the mouth of God. And so David's like, no, I'm not going to do that. This is God's anointing. I understand how God's work. God works. God works through authority. I didn't say that. And I think the greatest question that we all have when we face adversity, when we face the valleys, when we face the struggles, is the question of when. Because we can all handle some stuff for a little bit but it's the wind that catches us. It's the wind that trips us up. God, when will I stop struggling with this issue? God, when will the pain of being around that person stop? God, how long am I going to have to keep struggling with the same stupid sin that keeps tripping me up all the time? God, when? God, when is this going to break? When is this going to change? God, when, when is there, there going to be light at the end of the tunnel? Because my, my thoughts are racing, and I constantly feel depressed, and I constantly feel in the valley. And no matter what I do, it doesn't matter whether I go on a mission trip, or I come to FCA on Thursday night, I just can't seem to break the cycle. God, when? So waiting's not fun. Nobody likes to wait. But what I realize about God and what I realize throughout Scripture when people wait is that waiting is not about God waiting for the right moment to put all the pieces in place. Waiting on God is not about plot development. It's about character development. And it's in the waiting when our faith is actually tested, when we actually have to stand on our faith and stand on what we believe, that God is developing developing us and we stopped trying to look to cut corners. There, there was all kinds of corners for, for, Saul, for David to cut. David could have looked for the shortcut to get to the throne. He could have sent somebody to take him out. He could have done it himself. David wasn't interested in the shortcuts. He was interested in being developed. And, and just because you, you remove yourself from a bunch of people doesn't mean that your anger issues are gonna go away. Just because you get everything the way that you want it does not mean that you have gained a lack of self-control. Just because you get married does not mean that your lust issue goes away. We want the quick fix, we want the immediate. If I just remove myself from those people, I'm not tempted to gossip around them. No, 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 You, you have a, it's a heart condition, it's a heart problem. And we can't look for the change in situation, the behavior modification, to be the thing that changes the heart. The heart has got to change. See, the process is the key. Process, that's, that's the thing that gets us. That's the thing where God uses us. God is wanting to deliver us, but God is also wanting to develop us. And if God were to deliver us before he develops us, guess what would happen? we would wind up up right back where we started. And God could could free us and God could remove it, but if if we don't have the development in our heart, if we are not molded into the likeness of Jesus, we're going to keep coming right back to the same cycle over and over and over again. So in the valley, we have to ask, are we being developed? See, the process is part of the promise. He was anointed to be king, but he needed to be developed into the king. And you know what's crazy? David became one of the most successful military leaders ever. And do you know how he became so successful? Because of the tactics and the things that he learned while he was being chased to the wilderness. He learned how to evade and he learned all of these strategies that if he would have never experienced, he would have never been prepared for. And so, why we could say, God, this is unfair. Maybe this is an opportunity where God is saying, you're unready. And God is allowing us to be in a season so that we can be further developed. Let's keep going in our psalm, verse 4. He says, I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey, whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows, and whose tongues cut like swords. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. My enemies have set a trap for me, and I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. The second truth that stands out is that God doesn't want us to be fake. I mean, it's very real language he's using. He's he's describing his enemies, and he's describing the things that he's facing, but he's not understating it. And I think sometimes we think, maybe because we play the part well, we think that we have to be fake because we're fake around people, so we have to be fake before God. God is not looking for a different version of you. You know God loves morning breath you before you brush your teeth? I got three kids, and they come down and sit in my lap in the morning. I'm like, I love you, but dang. (laughs) Like, I don't know if you ate some garbage on your way down this morning, but... God loves jacked up you. God loves you, faults, failures, past and all. If while we were still enemies, Christ died for us, why do we try to play a part that he can see past anyways? We may be able to fool people for a season, but we can't fool God. God does not want us to be fake. He doesn't want us to be, he wants us to just be real. And I'm saying we be, I'm not saying we should be flippant with God. That's where the understanding part comes in, right? When we understand the holiness of God and we would understand the power of God and his character and his nature, we're not flippant. We realize that we, we get to talk to the creator of the universe. Like, you have a hard time getting in touch with your friends sometimes. But at any point, at any time of day, you can communicate with a God who flung stars off of his fingertips. And he wants you, real you. So David, he understands this. You look through his psalms, he's honest with God. He's like, God, I feel this way. God, I'm I'm experiencing this. God, I'm walking through this this crap storm. What do I do, God? How do I navigate it? What's my part in this? He's real. Not to put on some performance of, of who we're not. It's about real life. It's not about just some ethereal belief and some ethereal values that we we talk about only when we're in a church setting, but it's about real life. I've seen the faithfulness of God in my own life. I've witnessed things that, that it's only the Lord. Years ago, our house, we bought a house. Three days or two days before we moved in, it burned to the ground. If we would have moved in, the only hallway that went to my only, when we had one kid, to his hallway, to his room, was gone. If we would have woke up in the middle of the night, I would have tried to go in the hallway, couldn't have ever gotten to him. That was the Lord's faithfulness. There was an instance where my wife, she, was, she works from home and she was on her computer and instantly she's like, I need to learn child CPR and Heimlich maneuver. And so she pulled up a YouTube video, learned how to do the Heimlich, learned how to do child CPR the next day my oldest son is sitting there my middle son is sitting in his high chair she walks outside she opens the front door to go get some herbs from outside stops in the middle of the door and says i need to turn around and goes back and he was choking and he was starting to turn blue and she turned him over and she knew how to do the heimlich and she knew how to do cpr it's not chance that is god's faithfulness there's another one this is super weird she we uh My my middle son again. She put him in the you know those swaddling blankets that wrapped him up, and it's like if you're claustrophobic, like that's probably where it came from as a child. Because but they sleep, so praise God. And we had this one where you 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 tie him up, and she was putting him down into the bassinet that was in the room next to us, and she puts him down, and she goes to stand up, and she feels a hand on her back, like she's she drew back because she can throw down, and so she immediately. Was, was terrified. She's like, somebody's in my house. Like, this is what's going on. And, and she's, she's just, I don't know what's happening. And she happens to look down, and she looks back at her son. And somehow, when she set him down, the blanket went up over his face. And if, if she wouldn't have felt a hand on her back, our son may have died in the middle of the night. And so she wakes me up. She's like, look, I need you to wake up. But I need you to, like, wake up, wake up. Because if you don't wake up, what I'm about to tell you, you're going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> it's God's protection. I remember in elementary school and middle school pleading with God to heal my mom from cancer. And he did. And I watched that happen. And right now in faith, I'm begging and asking God to heal my dad from cancer. We had a second chemo treatment today. And I'm believing that the faithfulness of God that I've seen in the past, I will continue to see in the future. Not that just good things will happen in my life, that I will see God's faithfulness whether things happen or whether they don't. Because God's faithfulness is not based on my comfort, it's based on who He is. God, the wind and the waves and the storms, they may come, but if I have you, I have all I need. Be real, don't be fake. And the Holy Spirit isn't to empower a fake version of you. The Holy Spirit empowers you and who God made you to be. So walk in that. Let's finish up the psalm. Verse 7, he says, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations, for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Third thing that stands out, that we should never discount the basics. Honestly, I I wish I had faith like David sometimes. He's hiding out in a cave, unjustly chased, unjustly accused, having to leave behind his family and his friends and his loved ones and to be a renegade who's supposed to be king. And his response, my heart is confident in you, O God. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. I think sometimes we, we think that in our life that there's just going to be a moment, an awakening when all of a sudden we, we become the, the real follower of Jesus that we want to be. Like we're going to go on some, like I'm, I'm all for retreats and camps and stuff. We, we just had a, a retreat with our students this past weekend. I'm all for it. But if we think that it that is going to be the thing that radically changes us, that that's the miraculous moment when it all just happens. Or maybe, you know, when I graduate from college or, or, or maybe when, I'm a, when I get married, maybe when I have kids, that's the moment when I'm going to wake up and I'm actually going to be a wholehearted, fully devoted follower of Jesus who actually lives this thing out. We think it's this, this miraculous moment that's going to take place. There was a man who did an autobiography of Kobe Bryant. And uh, he wanted to see, he's like, he's one of the greatest. He's one of the greatest who ever played basketball. I want to know how he trains, how he eats, how he lives, how he sleeps. I want to know what he does because that's where the, that's where it really is. So this guy did an autobiography of Kobe Bryant and he followed him around during a workout and watched him do his practice routine and watched him work out. And afterwards Kobe Bryant says, what'd you think? And he said, honestly, no offense, like, you're great. I wasn't impressed. There was nothing like different. There was nothing weird. All that you did was just a bunch of like basic stuff. It was just normal drills and normal routines. And he asked Kobe, he's like, well, how did you become great if this is all you're doing? And he said, I never got tired of the basics. There was no fancy formula. There was no certain powder he took. There was there was no certain routine. It was the fundamentals. It was the basics that he drilled in day after, day after day after day after day after day after day after day. And I think we put our hope and our faith in this miraculous moment that's going to take place. That that's when we're going to actually become a a godly woman or a godly man. That's where we're going to actually wholeheartedly live this out. You know how that begins? It begins tomorrow morning when you wake up early and you read your Bible. And then the next day you do it again and again and again and again. It's small deposits. It's the daily rhythms. It's the habits. It's the routine. You know why David had such a depth of his faith and trust in God? What else is he going to do in the wilderness when he's taking care of sheep for years? He spent time with his heavenly father. It was him, the sheep, and God. In the wilderness, it was him, some scoundrels, the cave, and God. And the depth of David's relationship with the Lord—that he was a man after God's own heart—it wasn't because a moment. It's because he didn't discount the basics of prayer, of reading the Bible, of having community, of confession. The daily routines that most people will say, "Yeah, yeah, I get all that," but what's what's Where's the secret sauce? Like, what, what's, what's the thing to take me to the next level? It's consistency of doing the small right things over a long period of time. Pastor Craig Groeschel, he said that no one stumbles into intimacy with God. And you know why David was able to publicly declare Who God is, and how great God's love is, and how the promises of God, and how He's able to declare these these massive statements over His life. It wasn't a show because people were listening. He wasn't about thinking about, hopefully, somebody's going to cover this song one day. It was the deep well that He dug in private. It was the deep well when it's just him and the Lord and he he pours out his heart to God and he's he's with the Lord and he's praising God, and he's confessing and he's he's communing with God. It was the deep well that he dug in private that overflowed into his public ministry. There is a difference between physical hunger and spiritual hunger. Some of y'all are gonna go to cookout afterwards. I don't know how they do that thing for $5 or whatever. But Physical hunger, when you're hungry, you eat and you're satisfied. But with spiritual hunger, the more you eat, the hungrier you become. And if opening this and reading this and allowing this to read you has gotten mundane, may I The one thing that you hear tonight is to taste and see that the Lord is good. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you would have a fresh approach of God's word. Because no worship leader, no pastor, no spring break trip, none of that will change you. The thing that will drastically and radically alter your life is the word of God. Because this existed before the foundation of earth was laid. And this will continue to exist. I'll leave you with Romans 12, verses 1. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you is, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When valleys come, because they will. I promise you. It's not going to be the instantaneous fix that is what pulls you out. It's going to be how your roots have grown deep into the person of God and into the character of God and into the word of God. That no matter what storm will come your way, through God's strength you'll be able to weather it. Let me pray for you tonight. Jesus, you are so good. Lord, you love us at our worst. While we were still your enemies, you died for us. May that revelation and may that truth never grow dull. The reality of what you did for us. It would change the way that we live, change the way that we see the world around us. And while it may not seem flashy or revolutionary, sometimes when we've been spinning our wheels and we've been trying all the things, we need to strip everything back and get back to the things that matter most the basics. You've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Given us access to the Father. So, Lord, I pray that this would be a generation of followers of you, Jesus, who don't just play a part, but they live it, they breathe it. That the more that they read your word and the more they taste and see of your goodness the more that that spiritual hunger would develop and the more and the more they would see of your goodness and your faithfulness in their life so no matter what storms we walk through no matter what seasons may come we can still say god your unfailing love stretches to the highest of heavens your faithfulness endures forever Your goodness is not based on what my, what I experience. Your goodness is who you are. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us discipline. You would give us boldness. And you would help us to walk out this life, this journey that you've invited us to. And we ask all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.